0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, Okay, and so let's see um, how, how this goes. In West Philadelphia... On a playground is where I spent chilling out, relaxing. Yeah, uh, yeah. We start to drop off a little bit after that part, you know. Right. So if you are completely uh, unaware of what just happened, uh, just now. Um, that is the beginning of this song that was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the the popular 90s sitcom uh, that launched Will Smith's sort of acting career. Uh, Every time that that show came on, That was the song that you heard. And so for certain people um, of a certain age, whenever you hear the word Philadelphia, immediately your brain goes in West Philadelphia. I don't know much about Philadelphia outside of Liberty Bells, maybe a little bit of Rocky, but I certainly know that West Philadelphia is no Beverly Hills. At least in my mind, that's what happens every time I hear the word Philadelphia. Well, that happened a lot this week because as we come to the study, these letters that Jesus has written to these churches in Asia Minor, one of them was to a city called Philadelphia. And so while it has a name uh, identical to the city of brotherly love up the East Coast, uh, they are a very different type of city. For years and years, the city of Philadelphia and Asia Minor had been a bustling trade city. It sat on the corner of two of the main roads of the ancient world. And not only that, it had soil that was extremely good at growing grapes. So this was a party town. And this was a town where merchants would come through, buy the wine, and then take it off to other parts of the world. Until the year AD 17 because in the year AD 17 an enormous earthquake hit Asia Minor and while it was the epicenter was closest to a few other towns uh, it hit Philadelphia the hardest. And as a result, for years and years after, the city had been shaken down to its very foundations. And some of the Roman emperors would come in and they would try to give money to the city to help it recover in the ways that we still do, in the ways that something like FEMA might help a city recover from a natural disaster. These Caesars would come in and try to rebuild the city. The only problem was for decades and decades after the city was shaken by this major earthquake, smaller earthquakes continued to keep rocking the city. And twice, in fact, the city was rebuilt and given a new name after one of the Caesars. Uh, for one, at one point, it was called Neo-Caesarea. At another point, it was called Flavia. Um, and I'm not going to make a Flavia Flav joke after I made a DJ Jazzy, j- I'm not going to do it, you can't make me. But they would rebuild this city only to have it crumble yet again. And so after all of this happens, by the time we get to John recording Jesus sending this letter to the church in Philadelphia, it was virtually uninhabited in its city center. The only people who were left in Philadelphia were the farmers who lived on the outskirts. And the only buildings that were left were modest buildings that they didn't have to keep uh, rebuilding after every one of these earthquakes came through. And Jesus chooses to write a letter to this small church and this small town. And while it may seem at first that we don't have a lot in common uh, with a farming community that has been rocked by earthquakes, Florida is not a big earthquake place, uh, and we, most of us live here in St. Petersburg, where farming is uh, done maybe by people who grow things in like the upright gardens, maybe you have one on your porch, but not a lot of us are seriously farming. But I think there's one thing that the city of Philadelphia had that you and I can relate to, which was a constant sense of cultural uncertainty. Imagine living in a city where you wouldn't want to build a building because you were scared that it's just going to get shaken down once again. They lived with this right over their shoulder. They lived with the fickleness of Roman governors and Roman Caesars who would either give money to them or take money from them. They never knew what was coming next. And the moment we live in, we have that same level of heightened uncertainty. Uh, the breakneck speed of technological advancement. Uh, the confusing economic situation that we're in political uh, antagonism between neighbors friends and families global unrest and then you stir in those concerns that are specific to us here in St Petersburg rising housing cost figuring out the school choice stuff that any parent here knows and has to deal with, and the evolution of the city itself. Many of you have been here for a while and seen the city change. You stir all of that together, and we can feel disoriented. The uncertainty uh, can threaten to overwhelm us. But just like the gospel offered firm footing to the people of Philadelphia, it meets us in the same way. When the world shakes and quakes around us, Jesus remains constant and true. Jesus invites us to walk with him through these hardships and trials, and he beckons us to do that with patient endurance. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand. I'm going to read Jesus' letter to the church at Philadelphia. It comes from Revelation chapter 3. The words will be on the screen, or if you've got a Bible, you can follow along there. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. If you've been with us as we have walked through this now, the sixth of the seven letters, you can see patterns emerge in each one of these letters. And one of those patterns is that Jesus begins by describing himself. And anytime there's a sort of switch, anytime there's a sort of change in that pattern, it's worth noting, it's worth looking at. And one of the first changes we see uh, in Jesus' description of, of himself is that he uses three descriptors instead of his normal one or two. And that's something that's noteworthy for us. But the other thing that sticks out is in every one of the other times that Jesus describes himself, he borrows from the picture of Jesus that John saw in Revelation chapter 1. In this case, that doesn't happen. John uses words, uh, descriptions of Jesus, but not that sort of lively, Im- uh, lively imagery. We talked a few weeks ago about feet with burnished brass. He doesn't use that. He calls Jesus the Holy One the true one, the one with the keys of David. And the reason for this is one detail that I left out when I was setting the story about this church in Philadelphia. And that is that the church had been thrown out of the synagogues by the Jewish community. This is very similar to the church at Sardis that we talked about a few weeks ago. Their religious freedom was in peril because of what had happened in that local synagogue. And so Jesus gives them these descriptions of himself and draws heavily on the whole Old Testament. It functions as a a comfort to the church and a warning to those who have cast the church out. Jesus is the holy one. He shows himself to be unequivocally co-equal. With the Father himself. Throughout the Old Testament, God is called the Holy One of Israel. And that's what Jesus calls himself now. And while holy for us often makes us think of moral perfection, there's also a sense that the holy other nature of God is his separateness, is his being above the daily buzz of life. Imagine that for a person in the church in Philadelphia whose, whose feet might shake On a regular basis, Jesus is the one who is above that rumbling. Jesus is beyond that. He is steady and apart from the shakiness that the Philadelphians experience and that we experience too. But he's not just holy, he's also true. And as you read through the sort of different people who talk about this passage, uh, there's disagreement on what exactly John is telling us about Jesus here. Because in the one sense, true means the way that we normally think of it first, right? Not having any lies. And it's easy to see both from the Old Testament and the New Testament that Jesus does not lie, that Jesus is himself truth. We even see in John that Jesus calls himself, I am the truth. But there's another sense of that word, which is trustworthiness in the same way that if you have a wall in your house and it is uh, not true, that wall is curved. It's Jesus is trustworthy. And that's one of the other ways that this could be taken. And I think what's interesting is that both of those are true. Both of those are true of Jesus. He is our level, steady presence. And then finally, Jesus reminds the church that he has the keys of David. He is the only one who can throw open the doors of heaven. He is the only one that can bar them shut. Jesus holds death and life in his hands because he is the creator of all life and he is the one who had victory over death. He is the one who has our entrance to the presence of God, the Father. And so Jesus begins by showing who he is and then writing this letter to the church at Philadelphia. And as we read through, two things uh, are really, really noticeable as we read it. First, Jesus doesn't have any critique for this church. Jesus has no bad things to say about the church of Philadelphia, which is certainly noteworthy. Uh, Jesus has gone pretty hard in the paint at some of these churches, but yet for the church at Philadelphia, he has nothing to say negative about them. But the second thing that we notice, and you might've heard this as we read through the letter, is that it is a little bit harder to understand uh, as you read it. And the reason for that is that Jesus is excited. He is so pleased with the church at Philadelphia that he keeps interrupting himself. This this is something that if uh, you've ever talked to somebody who is excited about something, you've experienced, and you might've even done it yourself. This week, uh, my children got a new video game uh, called The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. And they have been playing The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom a lot. They, and not me, I, not me playing that, not me fighting with my children over time for a video game, not me. But one of the things that's amazing about this game is it's so vast and huge that every day one of my children, or me, <laughs> says to the other person, oh, you won't believe what I found. I went over here and then I went under a tree and then, and then, oh, oh, and also there was a rabbit there and and it sort of goes on and on and there's this excitement. And whenever you hear these exciting stories, there's always rabbit trails. There's always these little fine details that you feel like you have to add in to paint the picture so that the other person experiences the joy and excitement that you're experiencing about it. That's actually exactly what's happening in the text of this letter. And and Jesus has a word that he uses every time he goes down one of these rabbit trails. As you read through it, every time Jesus says, behold, he's interrupting himself. You even see it sort of very clearly in verse 8. He he says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know, he's going back to the thought before, I know that you have but little power. Jesus keeps interrupting himself because he is so excited about what he has to say to the church at Philadelphia. And so as we think through this, as we reflect on this together, what I want to do is is go through and look at the big ideas that Jesus is saying, and then we'll we'll pick up the rabbit trails later. And so as he says to this church, I know your works, you have little power, and yet you have kept my word, specifically regarding patient endurance in the face of hardships and uncertainty. Even more than that, they kept his word in the face of being expelled from the synagogue. They haven't denied Jesus' name. And so this church that has so much going on around it, has so much that is happening to it that is causing it uncertainty, has received their faith and kept their faith. They have not denied Jesus' name. He is so excited. This small church in this small town that's unstable and experiencing pressures in every direction, and yet this church patiently endured. They never let their grip slacken on the rope, their faith holds them fast. And that's an encouragement for us to do the same. With all the uncertainty of the future that we look at, that, that, you, that you read every time you open up the internet, we can rest assured that no matter what happens then, Jesus is faithful and true. He is the holy one who is unshaken by the winds of change because he is in control of the winds of chains. Church, Jesus is faithful. He can be trusted no matter what is pulling us into anxiety and uncertainty. And that's what that first interjection is about as well. Behold, I've set before you an open door. Jesus is opening the kingdom to us, and if Jesus is opening that to us, then we don't have to worry about that door slamming in our face. We can be sure and certain he is truly there to welcome us. But the church has held fast in another way. They didn't deny his name despite the threat of being put out of the synagogue. Now, if you missed the letter to Sardis, uh, that may be a bit confusing, why is a church being at a synagogue a big deal anyway? What, what, why does that matter to them? Because in the Roman world, the only people who were allowed to not worship the emperor were the Jews. And so the Christians, if they were connected to the synagogue, didn't have to go and make sacrifices to idols of Caesar. But if they were kicked out, they risked persecution. The Jews were the only ones who got a pass on that. And that, that's why some Christians we read about in other letters, we, we read about that they reverted to legalism so that they could maintain the protection that they had under the synagogue. But that's not what happened at the church in Philadelphia. They never denied Jesus' name. They never denied the grace that he taught. And it cost them as they were cast out of the synagogue. That's what Jesus' other interact, interjection is all about. The Jewish community that is rejecting him as Messiah are the ones that are being unfaithful to the faith of Abraham. The true children of Abraham are not the ones who are ethnically Jewish. They're not the ones who follow the law of Moses. True children of Abraham are those who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. Not believing that is the lie that Jesus talks about. And so he compliments them. He is excited for this church and the faith that they have. And so they kept Jesus' word. They held on to his name. And because of that, there are some consequences that they as the church experienced. Because they have bowed down to Jesus, one day those who persecute them will bow down at their feet as they are vindicated for trusting in him. And because they have kept Jesus' word, Jesus is going to keep them in the midst of the trial that is coming to the whole world. Jesus is alluding to everything that comes after this in the book of Revelation, which I will not be preaching. We're going to stop at the end of chapter three and move on and start talking about Psalms this summer. But this fiery ordeal that the book of Revelation describes is all of human history, and it's all a test. Those that hold fast to Jesus will have someone to walk with them through all of the uncertainty and difficulty that we face. Jesus isn't going to take them out of this world. Rather, he is going to walk with them through it until he sets all things right. And the same is true for you. Jesus doesn't promise us that our lives are going to be easy and problem-free. He doesn't promise us stress-free happiness if you just believe in Jesus. But what he does promise is no matter what we are walking through, he will walk through it with us. He will be faithful to us. And as we imagine all of the crazy things that might happen in the next five years, Jesus is there with us. Beloved, hold fast to the gospel that Jesus has taught us. Remember the love that he poured out and lavished on us while we were still his enemies. Take hope that you do not walk alone. He walks with us and has given us the church as companions as we figure this out together brothers and sisters, let's hold fast to Jesus, as this passage said. It's it's interesting um, because in the late 19th century, it became a tradition among sailors to get the words hold fast tattooed on their knuckles. It's it's an old uh, sailor's tattoo. And they did that as a reminder to themselves that no matter what storm comes, you keep a hold of the rope that you have a hold on. And in so many ways, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. No matter what storm comes, to hold fast to him, to have faith in him. So let's cling to Jesus, our loving Messiah. And as Jesus turns to the picture of what heaven will be, what the reward will look like for those that cling to him, he says that they will be like a pillar in the temple of God. They will be solid and steady in the very presence of the Father, and that He's going to write His name on them in the name of the city that is their birthright through their new birth, the new Jerusalem. But, but think about that in terms of what I told you about this city of Philadelphia. This city that is rocked by earthquakes, this city that has been attempted to be renamed on several occasions. In a place that was often renamed after fickle governors and emperors, Jesus offers to write on them the name which is above every name. In a city where no tall buildings existed, no temples were built because of the earthquakes, Jesus invites them to the center of a new and better city. To a people that were pushed further and further away from the center of town by uncertainty and tremors, Jesus places them right in the middle. This whole letter gives us a picture of movement. First, Jesus says, I have the keys of the door to the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says, I have opened the doors for you. And then he says, once you're inside, I am placing you in the middle where you will be pillars, pillars in the temple of God, steady, secure, and safe. And the reason why Jesus can tell us this is because he has worked and walked this path in reverse. Jesus began the last night of his life in the center of town where he was tried by the Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate in the center of the city. And after he was convicted of a crime, he had not committed, and yet crimes that we have committed, he was marched outside the city gates. Whereas he died on the cross, your name and my name was written on his hand. And as we see this, Jesus invites us to a new Jerusalem from the outside in and makes us pillars in the temple of God and writes his name on us. He is faithful and true. He is holy and good. And in the face of every possible upheaval in our lives, let's hold fast. Here's where I'm staking my trust. If we hold fast, He won't leave us disappointed. He will be faithful as he was to the church in Philadelphia, and he will be faithful as he will be to the end. Let's pray.